Good morning. This is the beginning. This is the great week of victory for God. This is the most important week in the history of humankind, what takes place 2,000 years ago. And it doesn't just start on Friday and Sunday. It starts today. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. So if, you're gonna, if you will, I am simply going to tell the story. Fresh, I hope, in ways you'll learn some things you've never heard before. Some of you maybe don't know a whole lot about it. And uh, I trust that today will be really precious. Not just because of the story, but because of the meaning of the story that is there. It can give you hope. And boy, oh boy, do we need hope in our world. Talk about hopeless people. I, I read recently that a human being can live 40 days without food. Hard to believe. A human being can live about three days max without water. A human being can live about eight minutes without air. But you'll be lucky to get through 10 seconds without hope. It's that emotional thing inside that gives us a reason for going on, especially when life is hard. So my big idea for today comes first from Desmond Tutu when he says this, hope is being able to see light despite all the darkness in life. Don't we have a lot of it? Um, it's all over the place. Whether it be wars in other part of the world, whether it be just seeing those hundreds of thousands, over a million students out on the streets yesterday of our, of our nation crying out that there not be such violence in our society. Marie had trouble sleeping two nights ago. And I said, what was wrong, honey? And she said, I shouldn't have watched the news. Yeah. Hope. Hope. Does, does the coming of Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday, provide hope. I really think it does. And my dream is that this might capture you and sustain you in whatever kinds of hopeless situations you are facing. So here's the big idea, everybody. Hold on to hope because help is here. Okay? So get ready, get set, go. The triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now... Let me set the stage for you, historically, what is going on during this time. Number one, life was incredibly hard for the people of Israel. A at this point, they had been an occupied people for over 700 years without freedom. Taxation, poverty, repression, destruction... World power after world power had just come in and taken over the place. They had a flicker of hope. Flicker, just a little flicker of hope. And I say only a flicker because it came from 700 years earlier too. That supposedly God was going to send somebody who was going to be a Messiah. A powerful king who would confront all the powers and, and win over them. There would be no more Rome holding them down. There would be no more kingship of the Herods that were draining the people dry because of taxes. 
Should I say that again as we get close to April 15th? That, that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would, would break through everything and make everything wrong right. But it was 700 years since those prophecies had been uttered. It, 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 supposedly this Messiah was going to come from the line of their most famous king, David. But it's been 24 generations following David. And no Messiah So they had a flicker of hope that life might get better. Only a flicker. And yet, something was up. Uh, About 70 miles north of Jerusalem, something was up. It was kind of quiet. Some stories started to emanate from 70 miles north. Three or four days walk. And so getting the stories down into Jerusalem would take time, but, but... Something was up. There was the stories of a man who kind of kept in the shadows, who didn't go public very much, and yet the story was that that, that, that things were happening, that he, he could walk on water, but he only did it at night so hardly anybody would see. He kept in the shadows. He he would feed. 10,000 people with a few loaves of bread, but he did it with his own men around him, and it multiplied, and most of the mass never knew where it came from. He stayed in the shadows. He would heal diseases, and then when people would gather to see this wonder worker, he had always slipped away. He kept in the shadows. He even raised a child from the dead one day restored her son to the mother, slipped away. His name was Jesus. Why did he slip away? Why didn't he go public? Because he kept saying, it's not my hour yet. But that all changes now. Now. He's come 70 miles south. He stays near the Jordan River, which is still 20 miles to the east of Jerusalem. He doesn't want to get into the big population base, but essentially he says, now is the time, and he's going to enter. I want you to follow me on this journey with him. And in fact, I really recommend to you, friends, whether you read the Bible often or just a little, that you might use this week to go into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just read this story over and over in four different uh, authors' minds and hearts. That's what I do every year during what we call Passion Week, starting today. Do that. There's also a wonderful art display that's going to be in downtown Wheaton. I don't know if you know about it. It'll be, it starts tomorrow, it goes through Saturday, and Christian artists have taken different scenes from this week and portrayed them in visual art, in, in, in sculpture, our own Tim Botts has done calligraphy, and, and you can go down there, you, I think you start at, let's see, where does it say? You start at Suzette's Crapery, wherever that is. Uh, it's right there on Front Street, and, and, there's, and then each place you go to, it'll tell you where to go to next. If you just want to ponder what happens this week, because here's what takes place. Jesus Christ steps out of the shadows, and he goes public. Okay, you ready to go on this? Do I have you excited? 
I am. I am. All right. Now, open your Bibles, please. We're going to start actually in John chapter 11. I'm going to use the John story of this week in Jesus' life. And in fact, you're going to have to permit me to go a little before this week in Jesus' life. Because it's almost Passover time. Passover time. There are about 600,000 people that live in Jerusalem. Uh, 800,000 a day. But when Passover comes, listen to this, up to one to two million people would come into Jerusalem for the Passover. It's the greatest of all of their feasts. So imagine the throngs of people coming. Jesus has now come down from the north, Galilee, and he's come down staying about 20 miles outside of Jerusalem because the hour is not quite there. This sets our scene. Now open to John chapter 11, and we're going to look at one verse here, which sets the whole tone for us. And uh, what has happened is that Jesus, as he's approached, come south, getting closer to Jerusalem and Bethany, his dear, dear friend Lazarus, who lives just outside Jerusalem, gets incredibly ill. Word is sent to Jesus, starting in chapter 11, verse 1, that, that he's, he's, he's in danger. And would Jesus come quickly? In verse 4, here we go. This is what it says. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was deathly ill, and would Jesus come quickly, he said, verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory so that the Son may be glorified through it. So Jesus is about to do something in his own way and in his own time. And he said, Lazarus has been allowed, permitted this terminal illness so that God will be glorified. What does it mean when God is glorified? Here's what it means. The glory of God is when God's seemingly invisible character and attributes are on public display. In other words, when God shows up and we can see it and hear it and taste and touch and feel it, that's God being glorified because we now see him in his essence. Jesus is saying, what has happened to my friend Lazarus has been done so that the Father and the Son will be glorified. This is the launch of his hour. All right. Now, what's going to take place from there is very, very interesting. Because Lazarus is deathly ill. And Jesus decides to not even show up for two more days. In fact, Lazarus could have died for all that matter. You see, Jesus has stayed near the Jordan River. In order to get to Lazarus, he's got to go due west about 20 miles to get there. He doesn't do it. He stays there for two more days. And then he shows up. And now we go to this text. Starting in verse 38 of chapter 11. And I read. You'll also have it on the screen for you. Or it begins on about page 1064 in our uh, Bibles. There on the uh, chair back. Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. When it starts there by saying Jesus was deeply moved, again, 
it's because three verses earlier, when he arrives, he finds out, well, he knew, Lazarus had died. By the time Jesus gets there, he's been dead four days. And Mary and Martha, Lazarus' precious sisters, they come out to Jesus and they say, Lord, if you had come, he'd be okay. And, and Mary couldn't basically say anything. She just cried. And, and the Bible gives us the shortest verse that describes Jesus perhaps better than anything else. Jesus wept, verse 35. Jesus wept when he was around that sorrow. And so as we start in verse 38, you see what it's about. Jesus, once more moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor. He's been there four days. Martha was pretty practical. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you will believe, you're going to see the what? What's the word? The glory of God. God's invisible attributes displayed. Okay. Didn't I tell you? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. His hour is at hand. He's going public. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a church voice. Jesus, or, uh, I messed it up. I messed it up. All right. He calls out in a loud, loud church, or in a, a church voice, Jesus, oh, I did it again. <laughs> you know, you can kind of read this and go, Lazarus, perhaps you should come out, talk in your church voice. Doesn't say that. He's no longer hiding in the shadows. He bursts and he says those three words, get ready, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had been dead for four days is going to come out. The dead man came out, his hands, his feet were wrapped with strips of linen. There was cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you see it? Can you imagine that? He's like a mummy. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Incidentally, application. Everyone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ who dies here will someday take off those grave clothes and live forever. This is pointing to it. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus is alive. That takes us to verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Some of them went to the Pharisees, verse 46, and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees will call a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Two things are happening. Vast numbers of people see this miracle. It's not what he had done, not done in Galilee. He'd done it, but he was under the radar. Now he's not. It's public. And, bef- and in the next week or so before he actually enters Jerusalem, 
this thing will go viral. It's trending. Okay? And it just keeps building up more and more people. And Jesus, after he does this miracle, will kind of slip away again and go back over by the river, go back down 20 miles, because he's waiting for the exact time that he should come up to Jerusalem, you see. So, so, but Lazarus is alive. And boy, was his house crowded. The, the, the miracle is spreading everywhere. This is where the great population base is. This is New York City in Israel. And so even the suburbs are awake and alive with this. He is going public. It spreads like wildfire. Now, about a week later, maybe 10 days, it is the Passover feast's beginning. Jesus and his team come up from the river. They come to the top of the Mount of Olives, which looks down into Jerusalem, and he is going to make his entrance. Turn with me now to chapter 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, remember, a million to two million people, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and they went out to meet them. And they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were trying to shut this whole thing down, they say this, this is getting us nowhere. The whole world is going after him. All right, let me give you this setting. Remember, when Lazarus is raised from the dead, You've got this massive trending going on. Hundreds, thousands of people have seen Lazarus alive. They heard Jesus do it. They're there. They are behind Jesus as he starts marching down the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem. But the text says, also pouring out from the city are massive numbers of people. They're coming from everywhere. It's it's Passover. But even above Passover, it's th- this Jesus guy is coming. And so, and listen, I've, we've walked that road. If you've gone to Israel, it's just two lanes, not even two lanes. It was a path. And then they all meet in the middle, and they've got palm branches. And palm branches were a sign of victory. And they lay their cloaks on the road as if to bow before the one they believe is the Messiah. His hour is at hand. There's this conflagration of the large mass of human beings that are there. Hey, and incidentally, you know when our kids came out? Is that, is that fun? When the children come and do that? Uh, and they do it. That's an exact replication of what happened on this day. Because if you read the Matthew 
story of the triumphal entry. It says that even the children were waving palm branches. And the, and, and the Pharisees say, Don't, the, the children are even caught up in your lie. And Jesus says, have you not read the scriptures? Where it says the children will rise up and praise the coming of the Lord. Is that cool or what? Woo, I like it. Pharisees don't know what are going on. They were trying to squelch this whole thing. But it's a movement. It's a movement. So, once again, folks, Jesus had stayed under the radar until it was his hour. And from that point on, he stands up in might and in glory. And he comes toward Jerusalem. He's riding a donkey. We would prefer... A war horse. <laughs> Wouldn't we? So would the people of Israel. A, a, a donkey was not a diminution. And in fact, when royalty would ride nice donkeys, it was a sign of peace and order that the royalty sought to bring. And so they didn't take this necessarily as something that was inappropriate. But it's, it's not what they wanted. They need a king who is a warrior, who comes in on a war horse, who confronts Rome, who pushes back King Herod, who challenges the religious leadership, who beats back Satan. They want him on a war horse. But he doesn't come that way. Why? Incidentally, have you ever wondered why a million people are cheering him on Sunday and on Friday are saying crucify him? This is at least part of that. He didn't fulfill what they thought were the 700 years of prophecies of the Messiah coming. He was going to do it in a different way. And they couldn't understand, this can't be the Messiah. A Messiah can't come in peace. Messiah has to come and bring war. They couldn't get it. The crowds couldn't understand. No one could. And yet, as he's coming in, and the Pharisees are beside themselves, he's, he's even just on a donkey, but it doesn't matter, everybody's cheering, and they say, listen, can't you get these people to shut up? They're, they're blaspheming God by declaring these things about you. And that's where Jesus gives his great thing. <laughs> and I like the way Jesus Christ, superstar, says this. He says, the rocks and stones themselves will start to sing. You know, if, if I shut the people up, nature's going to declare because he's the Lord of nature. Yeah. He's coming in power. Well, what's the whole meaning of this donkey and this peace thing? Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 9. We'll put it on the screen for you. Verses 9 and 10. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then read what it says. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. 
His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The prophecies did talk about this. They wanted a war horse king. They get a king of peace on a donkey who's going to remove the chariots, who's going to remove the war horses, and who will, through his eternal reign, bring peace to the world. This is the first of the comings of our Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples didn't understand it either. You know, they said that in verse 16. They didn't get it. The, the, the religious people didn't get it. No one was really getting it. But now, think of Jesus on that donkey. It's very interesting. And we get this from the Luke story. See why I told you you've got to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this week? On this week? There's just the insertion of one little phrase that as Jesus is coming up the mount, uh, coming up to, the, to the, uh, the temple after he's gone down the Mount of Olives and he's coming up, it says that Jesus was crying as he sat on the donkey. He, he wasn't cheering. He wasn't laughing. In his heart of hearts, he knew what was coming, both for himself and for the world. In order for him to bring peace, it was going to be incredibly costly. And there were going to be sorrows like no one can imagine. So in the midst of all of this power that he possesses and the crowds that are gathering, see him weeping and sad for what must be in order for what can become our freedom. He'll sacrifice his own life. Many will be lost. Sad, sad, but it's true. As he comes into the temple uh, and, the, and the gates of Jerusalem, we are told that it's either on that same day Sunday or Mark suggests that it's Monday that he goes directly into the temple courts where the, where the great sacrifices are taking place and he immediately acts like a war horse. Because the religious leaders have taken the sacrificial system, which is to draw people nearer to God, have taken the temple mount, which is to be a place of prayer, and they've turned it into a den of thieves. So the first public thing Jesus does after he comes in is he starts ripping apart everything going on in the temple courts that was forcing people to pay exorbitant amounts of money in order to have a sacrifice to bring before He says, this is out of here. So much for Jesus, gentle and mild. He confronts the religious powers. That's only the beginning. As the, weeks, as the week goes on now, Jesus will be brought before the religious leaders. He will be brought before the Roman governor. And he will be brought before the king, the royalty. And at each time that he does so, he is not a victim. He is in command. The religious leaders don't know what to do with him, so they bring him before the Roman governor. And the Roman governor can't get him to say anything. Why? You really want to know when there's power in a relationship? When one person doesn't need to talk. 
And finally, uh, Pilate says, don't you realize I have the authority to take your life or save it? And Jesus goes, you have no authority over me. Any authority you are given comes from above. Later in the garden of Gethsemane, when they're about to arrest him, even his own disciples try to save him. He goes, stop. Don't you think I could call on my father and the hosts of angels would be here? This must occur. Pilate doesn't know what to do with him, so he sends him to King Herod. And King Herod's just a royal guy that, you know, has lots of crowns and lots of wealth and takes lots of money from lots of people. And, and Herod says, oh, Jesus, I am so glad to see you. Would, you. would you do some magic for me? And Jesus does not utter one word in his presence. Herod the king sends him back to Pilate. He confronts the religious sins. He confronts Rome. He confronts the king. And he's not done yet. He will confront the, the invisible powers of evil in the world. Look with me to one more verse that should blow your mind in John chapter 12. Actually, it's two of them. Verses 31 and 32 of John 12. God, actually, God the Father actually speaks out loud. The people that heard it said that, that it was thunder. Others are saying an angel had spoken from the skies. And Jesus says in verse 30, the voice you just heard was for your benefit, not mine. And then he says this, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Who finally is Jesus going to stand shoulder to shoulder with in defeat the devil the prince of this world is about to be cast off now remember when the pharisees are beside themselves with these crowds and everything and they finally say the whole world is is gone after him that wasn't true that that was an extrapolation a million people were going after him to follow him but it wasn't the whole world was it but watch this all you got to do is turn that phrase 180 degrees. The whole world was not after him, but when he enters Jerusalem, he is after the whole world. Right? Keep that in mind. Because it helps us understand all the things he does as he confronts power. And then later in the week, when he seems to step back from confrontation and actually receive a victim's death. We know that that wasn't pulling away from power. It was asserting the great power of the death of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all sins for the whole world because he was after the whole world. And he proves it when he rises three days later. And incidentally, remember when he says about Lazarus, take off his grave clothes, let him go? Jesus will take off his own grave clothes, leave them in that tomb, and a ton and a half stone will roll away, and he will walk forth in power, resurrection power. 
I guess the big thing I want to get across to us is this. Sometimes you feel like God isn't very near and your problems are a lot bigger than his promises. They aren't, everybody. They aren't. What Jesus does that first week as he engages power, as he gives up his own life to bring forgiveness of sins, is God in command the whole way, even to the invisible world of demons and devils. Will uh, Franco and I were talking about this text this week, and, and he had found a great quote uh, that he used last Sunday in, in our campus up in Streamwood. And so I took that quote, and I think I've made it even better. But, yeah, so tell Will when you see him. Uh, but remember, we were talking last week, if you were here, about 1 Peter 5, 8, and it's where it says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Right? Remember that? But resist him firm in the faith? Okay. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and you read verses 31 and 32 like we just did, something happened to Satan that Satan didn't imagine what was going to happen. See him now as the great lion. When Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the dead, he defangs the devil. His powers are extremely limited because of Jesus' victory. And for 2,000 years, not only has he been defanged, but Christ's worldwide church is defeating him in multiple places through our word and our testimony. Look this up in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 sometime. And find out the position that the church of Jesus Christ plays in the ongoing defeating of the dark side of the force. And third, when Jesus returns in his second coming, Satan will be destroyed. Defanged, defeated, destroyed. Wow. A lot happens when Jesus comes into Jerusalem that day. A lot happens when Jesus that week performs his God duties to save the world. Does this give you hope? Does it help you hold on a little bit? Three takeaways. Number one, how does this story help us? Well, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is, is the fact that Jesus reigns supreme as much now as he did that week. No lessening. I don't know what you're going through, but he's in command. Secondly, Jesus cares in your sorrows just as much as he did that week when he cries over Lazarus and his sisters and, and when he rides that donkey into Jerusalem knowing what is coming. The kindness of God, the love of God in Jesus Christ can never be overexpressed. Sovereign, in command, loving as a true God would be. And then the third thing is the promise of rescue. Rescued in this life, but rescued more for the next. As Marie and I go through my own battle with this cancer that I have, I cling to those three attributes and doctrines of my God. He's in command. He cares. And 
I know what's waiting for me. There's a verse. You should read it later this week. And again, it comes from Revelation chapter 7. It's all about the new world order of heaven. And it says every tribe and every nation will be gathered at the throne. And Jesus will be there. And it says millions upon millions will be waving palm branches of victory. That's what I hold out for. How about you? Hold on to hope, everybody. Hold on to hope. Help is here. Pray with me. Lord, unto you now I commit these words. Take the ones that didn't work and help them forget those. Take those that were directly from you that they might lift up and know Jesus more fully and drive it deep into every man and woman and boy and girl that are here today. Lord, hope is at hand because you are. Oh Lord, now guide us as we continue to worship in song.